This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Good God, Thursday already. So I was halfway through the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I just got as far as when they'd started decorating the fake Christmas tree before they all start dancing and the people with the bells come down and start jangling them in your ears. And I suddenly looked at the clock and I said, I said to the producer, uh, I said, it's 22, we haven't even done the opener to the programme, so the Mormon Tabernacle had to go on on hold button, which isn't good because it's David Archuleta and he sings really well with them. I mean, it, you know, he fits in quite nicely and the orchestra appear to like him and the crowd like him as well. And uh, it's just before they go into While Shepherds Watched. Which, if you haven't seen it, you have to go to YouTube. It's terribly good. Actually, somebody told me that Christmas in Connecticut is coming up on the television. My friend Ian said, is it the original? And I said, I think so. I didn't think they made a remake of Christmas in Connecticut. I don't know, actually. I don't know if Darren knows that. Do you know if they made it? You probably won't know this. It's a Christmas film, Christmas in Connecticut. But was there a remake made? And I think, no. I think there was only the one. And it's a really good festive film. It's about a lady who, who writes for a magazine and uh, and she writes about living on the farm and how they prepare for Christmas. But of course, she's living in a bedsit in New York and she's fantasising about the whole thing. It's just beautifully done. It really is quite nice. And uh, my friend Ian is as crackers for Christmas as, uh, as I am. Uh, the UK's coastline can't be saved, say the National Trust. There's some poor mother out there, 100 hiccups a day for eight years. She's finally lost the will to live, I think. She's been hiccuping. Can you imagine 100 hiccups? She's just exhausted. Absolutely. The nation's invaded by phony Malonies. It's those sort of third-rate tat people that turn up and you think, oh, God, why don't you just go away, please? Peter Andre's on the front of OK magazine about the 500 million time. This time it's with the dance. They must be running out of ideas. They can't put another picture of him and the kids on there or him with his gorgeous wife, Em. You know, the one with the unusually long hair because she quite clearly won't, won't ever get it cut. And when she does, she's going to look really quite naff. And so he's there with his dance partner from Strictly Come Dancing saying, I, you know, she's like a sister to me. And I thought, no, she's not. No, she's not. She's your dance partner, dear. Let's get it right. He's so creepy. So creepy. But I mean, say, Peter Andre on OK Magazine. It's very dull, isn't it? Mind you, I suppose beats the, uh, beats the ex-wife being on there. Uh, what else? Oh, Little have gone posh with a new look. Very similar to Waitrose, because that's it, isn't it? It's the packaging of things. That's the things that we like. We like the packaging. When I go into a store, if I, I mean, I, I thought that um, Iceland had been rather clever with the packaging of their luxury mince pies. They've got some gold on there, and it's and it's, it doesn't say in big letters Iceland, or if it does, I've completely missed it. And it, and it, it, it's the packaging that makes you warm to something, which you which you quite like. Uh, the horrible story of the poppy seller mugged at the age of seventy-one for, for a handbag. How can people do it? How can people do it to elderly people? It's, I mean, it is just atrocious. But, uh, but you, the great British public, I think you're as horrified as everybody else is when these things happen. So when that woman got punched on the bus in Croydon and two pictures flashed up on the internet and it was on the LBC website, she was identified within hours. Identified within hours. There's a, a, a bit of an identification crisis going on in the paper today. They'll be looking for your help to uh, try and find a man. He can't be too difficult to find. He, uh, he was in Marylebone yesterday, climbed on top of a Porsche with a knife, cut the roof open, climbed inside, couldn't start it, climbs back out again, goes and nicks another Porsche. But in the meanwhile, he's also done a bit of light shoplifting. He goes equipped with a knife, this one. And so they've got uh, very clear pictures of him. You can't, uh, you can't miss him. And no doubt he'll be identified and uh, hopefully spending Christmas in prison. The other story, which is the the horrendous... I, 
I didn't get this one at all. This is the stepbrother and the lover guilty of killing Becky Watts. I mean, he's quite clearly some deranged pervert. I don't really know why, you know, why we even waste time keeping these people alive. The parents of Becky have said they, they want him to hang, but of course we don't have the death penalty in this country. That's why there's no deterrent, and even if there was a deterrent, I don't think it ever would have stopped this happening. This man is quite clearly so mentally ill, he doesn't know what he's doing from one second to the next. I mean, he actually used to brag to his pals that he messed with bodies in a morgue. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, I think he's, he's almost trying to be the next Fred West. And, of course, Fred West did the decent thing, much to everybody's embarrassment, and hanged himself in his cell. Pity Rose West didn't follow suit. But when you look at this one here, he was addicted to pornography. He had teen rape videos. But the funny thing was, he admitted killing her and dismembering the body, but said he didn't murder her. Is there a difference? I mean, either way, she's dead. And um, he groped her when she was just eight years old. I mean, it's just the most horrendous thing. And you look at the picture of these people and you think, I mean, how do they slip under the wire? And the answer is because they don't actually have the word murdering rapist stamped over their forehead. They end up with, you know, they just have their, their mugshot pictures taken and we're going to keep them in prison for the rest of their lives. They'll probably go into some mental asylum, I should imagine. He would have to. And uh, she's been convicted of of manslaughter. I mean, detectives branded the pair depraved. I would have thought that was probably... I mean, that was probably one of the mildest words they, they could have thought of. It's ridiculous. It, I mean, it's just... It's so dreadful for parents to have to sit in court and listen to these people, and they just sit there, and um, and it just washes over. They, they couldn't care less. They really don't care. Uh, Cheryl Fernandez spagbols in the papers today. I mean, there's, there's rarely a day goes by where the poor creature is not in there, either for the fact that she doesn't actually have a singing career anymore, or that she's apparently a senior producer on The X Factor, of which she contributes zilch to. Uh, now the latest one is Marriage Crisis. Well, I hadn't heard this. I don't know. Where, do you think the papers make something up and they, and they go to them and they go, oh, we, we hear your marriage is in trouble. So then they go, uh, well, it's absolutely not. It's fine. And they go, OK, marriage not in crisis, says Cheryl's husband. This is uh, angry Jean Bernard. He's been angry in the past, actually. Although you look at him, he doesn't look as though he could actually be very angry. He branded the rumours nonsense and said, I put, I mean, I'm assuming he's French. If I do it in a French accent, does that make it really bad? Am I allowed to do that in a French accent? I don't know, a French accent's acceptable nowadays. <laughs> he says, I put my life on the line for my wife. I don't quite know what that means, but anyway, perhaps it's some little French French thing anyway. Uh, the couple wed six means, 16 months ago, but Cheryl has been uh, seen on her own at a string of high-profile events. Oh, right. But apparently he did actually take her to uh, uh, Italy on June the 30th, a 32nd birthday surprise. Because I can't imagine what they have in common. What on earth do you think they talk about? Cheryl, you know with that dreadful northern accent, and him, you know, I don't know what his English is like. Well, he, he could say the word nonsense, so I suppose it must be fairly good. Apparently, though, specula about, uh, speculation about their marriage reached a head this week with a magazine reporting that Cheryl finds it hard to cope without him by her side. What a load of old codswallop, ladies and gentlemen. Of course she doesn't. She's from Newcastle. She's tough as old boots. We know how tough she is. We've seen evidence of it. Anyway, he says, uh, if she needs me... I will always, I'm always going to be there. Isn't that lovely? She went to the Pride of Britain Awards on her own, the music industry things. Well, I mean, you know, what can she do? She'll sit there lording it up, you know, having people take your photograph, and he's sitting there looking like the spare part. So probably best she goes by herself. Although she doesn't actually appear to have any friends. You know, you know, other people go out, you know, other people, you know, go out with 
their friends in the business. She doesn't appear to have any friends. Who are Cheryl's friends? At least you know we're sort of Colleen Rooney. She's got another load of old chav wags uh, who come from uh, Liverpool and they all they all sort of hang around together because that's her sort of level. But we're for old Cheryl, she doesn't know where she is half the time, does she? Is she sort of terribly cultured because she looks fantastic and then she opens her mouth and ruins it? Or is she just a chav from a Newcastle council estate who's sort of made a little bit something of her? But she doesn't. She isn't actually worldly wise. So I don't know where she is. I'd, I, I would love to see who her friends are supposed to be. I bet you now one of the papers will pick up on that. They'll say, let's find out who her friends are. It's a bit like finding out who Sarah Harding's friends are. We've not seen her in the papers recently, either standing up or falling down. Uh, off to the Woolpack. It's going to be very bizarre, isn't it? She's turning up. They've already filmed it in a, a Christmas show. And she's going to appear as Mrs Winterbottom, a very demanding guest at Eric Pollard's B&B. And and I thought to myself, um, yeah, OK, they're obviously interchangeable now, characters in soaps. So, in other words, you know her as Vera Duckworth. I mean, it makes a complete mockery of it, doesn't it? If she turned up as Vera Duckworth to do something in the village, I could understand it. You know, opening the village fate. That would be quite interesting. But as a completely different character, but yet she'll sound exactly like Vera Duckworth. I know because I've I've uh, I've interviewed her on a few occasions and, and I can tell you some stories, make your hair curl, literally. I mean, I'm not sure I should tell you them. But, uh, I might save them for when she's uh, when she's passed on. But, uh, so she's going to turn up. You'd think somebody in Emmerdale, unless they're completely devoid of any televisions or radios or pictures in newspapers, is, is not going to know she's Vera Duckworth, who works in Coronation Street, or who did work there. How can they sort of pretend they don't know who she is? She should be putting on a different... Anyway, they all said she was fine, and um, and that was that. But it's funny, isn't it? You thought if she was going to make an appearance anywhere at Christmas, she'd have done it in Corrie. Why would she appear as a completely different character when for 99.9% of her life she's been Vera Duckworth? And then she turns up in Emmerdale and nobody knows who she is. You'd think somebody somewhere would go, is that Vera Duckworth? That's what, that's what I'd want to say. That's what I'd want to say. Everybody else obviously thinks differently. Anyway, apart from that, yesterday, nice day. Thank you very much indeed. We did Hugh Bonneville yesterday morning. Uh, the interview will air next week. Not this week, it'll air next week. Uh, he's talking about water aid. We talk about Downton. We talk about uh, what he's doing for Christmas, the Paddington books, which he's uh, narrating. And, um, and, and he was wonderful. He was absolutely wonderful. So we had David Tennant one day. We'll run him, I think, next week as well. And Hugh uh, Bonneville. And then at the very end of the interview, when I asked him about Christmas, he says, well, actually, said, um, he said, I'm going down to the Magic Circle to see one of their shows. And I said, it's not one of because he turned up at one of my shows two years ago. And somebody said to me, Hugh is uh, Hugh's in the audience with his son, Felix, because Felix loves magic. And so I said, you come into my show knowing it was sold out, but thinking he might have managed to get some seats. And he said, no, he said, I couldn't get seats. He said, I'm going on the 28th, um, <clears throat> which is just after Christmas. And so he's going and he's going with his son. And I said, ah, because we were talking about Christmas presents. He said, we tend only to do them for the youngsters and the family. I said, well, I've got an ideal one for you. I said, here is an ideal one. How about, and, and before you poo-poo the idea, when you hear what I'm going to say, listen, listen through to the end of it. I said, how about a magic set for Christmas? Every little boy or girl gets a magic set. But this is not any magic set. This is Dynamo's magic set. Now, the reason that I mention it is because already it's becoming in short supply. And it is not. It has got no tricks in it that appeared in other box sets from ages ago. This is his first magic set. This, this has got some really good stuff in it. 
This has got really good stuff in it. And so I said to Hugh, I said, you need to get hold of Dynamo's magic set. It's about 30 quid. I said, but this one is is streets ahead of the other ones, which have got the same things in it. When I was a child, and I look at the magic sets now, they've got roughly the same things in it that I had, you know, when I was seven and eight years old. So the Dynamo one is taking it to a different, a different level. Different level. Uh, still to come on the programme this morning, why donkeys get more money than war heroes? And, uh, and Big Mama... The gang war in Manchesterford, big mama, honestly, she's ugly, big, I don't know whether she's big, you can only see head and shoulders, but by God, she's got an ugly family, and these people apparently run Manchester, you know, it's that kind of thing. Plus, we'll tell you about the rather nasty little traveller who's been out there ripping off pensioners. Every time I open up our local papers, we had one the other week from a traveller site in Chertsey, who was, uh, he was a traveller gardener ripping off pensioners again. This time, it's a young boy who, from an early age, was taught how to cheat people. And he doesn't care. In fact, the older they are, the more vulnerable they are, the more he seems to like it. So we've decided to wipe the smile off his face. We've sent him to prison. We'll tell you why very shortly. Quarter past four. <laughs> it was quite painful listening to that uh, that horn playing. It reminded me of uh, the Yehudi Menuhin school of violinists. And they start them very from about two years old. And so you get little kids there with violins going... Oh, it's awful. It's pitifully awful. But you sit there, and parents sit there with a big fixed grin on their face going, that's my child, the star violinist. Nick and the team this morning. A blundering Englishman abroad as Boris Johnson's Palestinian trip is cut short after his pro-Israeli remarks. Can the mayor be trusted on the world stage? A 71-year-old poppy seller fights for her life after a brutal mugging. Are we losing respect for the elderly? God knows it does seem so at times, doesn't it? And as Becky Watts' stepbrother and his girlfriend are found guilty of killing the 16-year-old, how long are the pair likely to spend behind bars? That's Nick and the team at seven. With the papers, Adam Bolton, presenter of Sky News tonight. And it's all after the morning news with Lisa Aziz. will be along at 6.30 this morning. I didn't know this, but Brian in Bangkok has just pointed out the reason that Vera can't turn up in uh, Coronation Street is she's dead. But she did come back as a ghost, didn't she? Didn't she come back as a spirit or something like that? I'd forgotten she died in it. It never, it never crossed my mind, actually, because I don't, I don't believe any of it anyway. It doesn't kind of make too much difference to me. So she's died. Well, um, hey-ho, what the hell. Uh, apparently, and uh, another one here. Uh, Mike says, any wonder why Cheryl doesn't have any visual friends? Not even her fellow band members. Well, she did go out to the theatre the other night, didn't she? To sort of see somebody in the theatre doing Elf. And that was OK. But she doesn't actually seem to have... Fr- she started hanging around with the pale one from Girls Aloud. But what they talk about, I've got no idea. I seriously can't... You know, she's not exactly the most live wire. She looks as though she's very aware of everybody around her. And they beautiful. I'm beautiful. Uh, why do donkeys get more than war heroes? Because we apparently like animals in this country. Which, of course, is a load of old codswallop because we don't. That's why you go to Battersea Cat and Dogs Home and they'll tell you more animals abandoned at this time of year than anybody else. We quite clearly are not the nation of animal lovers. The RSPCA run huge adverts. Can you help save these dogs who've been abandoned and cruelly dealt with? And you think, because we don't like animals. People inflict dreadful damage on animals. I can't ever imagine why somebody would want to, to sort of do serious damage to a puppy or a cat or a kitten. or It doesn't do anything. To anything. You know, when you see what people do to them, these people should be taken out and hanged. It's awful. 
It's just it's it's just unnecessary suffering. So donkeys, and I do I do have a soft spot for donkeys because uh, when we used to live in Yorkshire, I told you the big house in the village, the big manor house, and it was beautiful. Um, the woman there used to rent out one of her fields to all the donkeys, and they would come up for the uh, for the winter months, and they'd just sort of sit in the field, and we used to go and and pet them and things like that, but they would never let you ride them. I don't think we ever managed to get a ride on a donkey because the donkey knows that I'm on holiday. I don't, I don't do donkey rides when I'm on holiday. And so they would stoically stand there. But there's something nice about them, aren't there? I don't know. Perhaps it's because of our fascination with Eeyore. And we liked Eeyore, so we liked donkeys. And if you look at how much money goes to the donkey sanctuary, 21 million goes to the donkey sanctuary. 21 million. What in God's name do they do with it? It's unbelievable. The RSP... Uh, makes a massive 64 million. Good God, this is unbelievable. So donkeys are left more cash in people's wills than the Poppy Day charity for wounded war heroes. Try sending some donkeys out to war and budgery guards and see how we get on. Anyway, they received 21 million, topping gifts to the Royal British Legion of 16 million last year. The donkey sanctuary. When they do it on the television, they make it look like, sort of, you know, it's Knuckle Down Farm or something, or Dapple Down Farm, and you think, 21 million coming in. How many donkeys have they got? That's a lot of donkeys. Help for Heroes, 8 million. Army Benevolent Fund, 2.9. Uh, the Royal Navy, Royal Marines, charity, 838,000. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? He says uh, that there's a man here who's trying to raise uh, cash to fund fatal, uh, fatal uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy which is suffered by his nine-year-old son, Harrison, has highlighted the issue. He made an ad saying, I wish my son was a dog, featuring a picture of a dog and the line, would you give five pounds to save Harrison from a slow, painful death? Because that's what it comes down to now, isn't it? That, that they, the, RSPC ads, uh, the RSPCA ads are targeted particularly at animal lovers, you know, which I have to include myself, and they're designed to tug at the heartstrings, make you put your hand in your wallet and get out your credit card. That's what they're designed to do. Yet put a picture of a child dying up on there, and people go, well, you know, not our country, is it? It's, you know, that's what's so sad about it. We're generally so good in this country at giving, and yet we give more to donkeys. I mean, how many donkeys can we save? You know, no, I'm not decrying it. I'm saying that's great. But isn't it funny? 21 million to donkeys, British Legion, 16 million. Oxfam got 13.8 million in the other day, uh, the other year. Help for Heroes, 8.1 million. They've got so much money, they don't know what to do with it. And not only have they got so much money, but as some of the newspapers reported, they haven't, they haven't even got enough people to fill all the beds that they've got. So obviously, you know, when you see people collecting for Help for Heroes, you think, but wait a minute, you've got empty beds at the moment because there aren't enough, you know, disabled soldiers to go into them. And airmen and ladies. Uh, the Dogs Trust got £24 million last year. I'm telling you, charity is big business. The NSPCC, £20 million. The Royal Society for the Protection of Birds got £30.5 million in. For birds. God. If only Amy Childs knew how much we were giving to help save her. Uh, the World Horse Welfare got £2.1 million. No, sorry, 21 million. I do beg your pardon. Good God, there's lots of money floating around, isn't there? Uh, the Dogs Trust, 24. Donkey Sanctuary, 20. Uh, Bernardo, 16.3 million. Save the Children, 16.2. Royal British Legion, 16 million. You know, I don't, I don't know who you divide your money out amongst. You know, do you do evenly between animals and humans? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Very, very difficult one, I think. And also, this, this next story is a bit of a difficult one as well. Because it's a couple... Who uh, who called nine 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 because they said they were lonely. Now 
we've talked about people who misuse the 999 system. The 999 system is supposed to be there for an emergency. It's supposed to be there for, you know, if something's happening, if you're being broken into, if it's a car accident or if somebody needs an ambulance or something like that. They just phoned up because they were lonely. And uh, they've got good neighbours. They just wanted comfort. So they phoned 999. I don't know how old they were. But anyway, uh, one of the PCs who answered went round and made them tea and sat with them. And I'm thinking, you know, it's lovely. Don't get me wrong. I think that's a lovely thing to do. But I can't help thinking, isn't that an abuse of the 999 system? Would it, no, I mean, would it have made any difference if they'd phoned up and said, listen, we're, we're two old age pensioners and our Chinese takeaway's not turned up. Would it be possible for you to go and pick it up for us? Would they have responded in the same way? Or is it because they said they were lonely that they went to make a cup of tea? It's, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? What's the difference between them saying, listen, we're waiting for our pizza to turn up from Domino's and it's not turned, we think the boys got lost or something and we're, and we're very hungry here. Do you think the police would go, yeah, right, thank you, goodbye, put the phone down? Because they said they were lonely, pop round to make a cup of tea. And, um, and then uh, now this, uh, this copper here, who is PC Stu Ockwell, he said that the lady's husband has gone blind and she struggles to look after him, so it was out of desperation. So he made them a cup of tea. I mean, when you think about it, it's really quite sweet, but I can't help feeling it's also a little bit of an abuse of the 999 system. But if you're at the end of your tether and you don't kind of know what to do, you go, I'm going to call 999. I'm, you know, he, he's gone blind. I'd love a cup of tea and we're a bit lonely. We haven't got anything to do because it's, it's difficult. You know, this time of year, you're going to read more and more stories like that in the newspapers. Excuse me. And you're going to start feeling, you know, that you've actually got everything in your life. Absolutely everything. You know, if you've actually got Food in the kitchen, you've got central heating and a roof over your head, and you've got LBC on. Life could not be any more perfect. But for some people, it's very difficult. They don't have any money. They've got, uh, they've got no idea. I was at the station yesterday with Brian and Twickenham, and uh, Ofsted are at the local college, where there's a lot of, let's just say, rogues. Rogues would be a good description. That sort of doesn't make them sort of hard and hardened criminals. It just makes them a little bit naughty. And what they do is they jump the barriers, they don't want to pay. And so yesterday, three guys went through the, you know, the big barrier, which they use to let wheelchairs through and pushchairs and things like that. And three went through and won, won, won ticket. And Brian said they haven't paid for a ticket. One will have a ticket. The other two will just barge through at the same time. And they had no qualms about it whatsoever. No shame. And so because I was erring on the side of caution, I said, maybe they're poor in a loud voice so they could hear it. But then I thought they didn't quite look intelligent enough. All they were doing was cheating the system. You know, it's like there was some woman, she got on the train, East European, and I'm on the Reading train yesterday after I'd done my interview, and uh, she sees first class, and she goes and sits in first class. She doesn't have a ticket for first class. Hardly anybody does nowadays. And so she sat there making her phone call. She, speak, she quite clearly speaks perfect English, because she's speaking in English on the telephone. And you think to yourself, you're cheating the system. I wanted to sort of go in there and go, I see your ticket. You know, and then she goes, oh, um, is this, for... no, it's first class, dear. We know you speak English and you didn't recognise the number one on the windscreen. You know, that's stupid, are you? You're trying to cheat the system. £150 fine. And if you don't pay it, we're going to call the police. You know, I, th- I think short, sharp, shock treatment. But, uh, I don't think it solves anything. I, I think Brian will be standing there, you know, for ages and ages watching people cheat. It's either that or builders coming in and they, uh, they just barge through the barriers. Really, it's, it's just how they get onto the trains in the first place. I've got no idea. Quick time check for you. It's 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 25 minutes to... 20, yeah, to five. 
I don't look at the clock, actually. I was sort of thinking. I tweeted a picture earlier on Sandy's in Twickenham, the fish shop. He's got his trees up ahead of most people. As you know, I'm turning on the lights with the lovely Jane Horrocks on the 22nd of this month, which is a Sunday, I think, at about 5.30. But uh, he's got his lights up. They are ablazing. I think that's possible. It's probably about the, uh, the normal time that he puts them up. It's the 12th Thursday. I did do the two-minute silence yesterday, just in case you were asking. I did do it. I managed to get home in time, literally at about 58, 10.58. And I just was going to go in. All of a sudden, it went to 11. So I stopped. And I did wait my two minutes. I was a good boy. I waited my two minutes. Uh, there is a great piece of the paper today. I always love it. If it's got certain names that are mentioned, and it immediately, I'm drawn like a fly, like a moth to a light, like a magnet with a piece of steel. Uh, this is uh, a piece by Polly Hudson, whose uh, column, she say, may, may contain sarcasm. I think not at all. She says there are two words nobody but even his close family has said or even thought of in over three years. Christopher Maloney. She says, he was 2012's X Factor villain. His nickname was Baloney. He loved his nan and he somewhat mystifyingly made it to the final along with Thingamajig and Watsit with the teeth. As usual, once the series is over, we immediately stop caring. Obsession turns to indifference before the credits finish rolling. And so Christopher Maloney disappeared and was never heard of again. Until this week when he popped back up. Sharing grim photos from his hospital bed, Baloney let it be known he was adding to the £60,000 worth of plastic surgery he apparently had had before his, oh yes he is, forthcoming panto stint. His management, Polly writes in brackets, he has management, uh, released a statement informing us that Chris is now focusing on his lower eyelids. Nice, he's keeping busy, I suppose, says Polly. The problem is that Baloney is not alone. He's one of a growing number of has-beens, trying to pull what is known in the trade as a 16th. His 15 minutes are well and truly up, but instead of having the good grace to... off, he's trying to squeeze out more. He must be stopped, obviously, along with... Chloe Maidley. You can understand why this article appealed to me immediately. Chloe Maidley, she says here, proved how talented she was right from the off, using all her skill to be born to celebrity parents, landed jobs as a roving reporter on TV programmes as long as they were presented by her mum and dad. After being caught smoking weed and then setting another shining example with her arrest for drink driving, Chloe lost a few reality shows. It appeared that her time in the spotlight was over and the nation heaved a sigh of relief. But by the time we'd inhaled again, she was back. Fully ripped, she now takes selfies in her underwear. Still as talentless as she was before. But, uh, and about that tall. Very embarrassing. Very embarrassing. You know, the drink driving, the smoking of the weed. A talent little, little sort of madam with sort of nothing at all to offer apart from her in her scanties. It's a shame she didn't take a leaf out of her brother's book. Uh, an altogether completely different person. Very nice, very grounded, very down to earth, very funny. And she has about as much humour. They always put her on programmes where they knew they could drag out poor Richard and Judy. So when she danced on ice... And we all went, who is she? Oh, she's the daughter of Richard and Judy. Now, of course, you know we love Richard and Judy. The nation has always loved Richard and Judy. And uh, and they both sat there kind of trying to take it all in, I suppose. That's our daughter. So she's been given the help up the ladder. Has she actually achieved anything? No, she hasn't. No, she hasn't. It's a show. Every time she has a new boyfriend, she drones on about it to anybody who'll listen. Whereas nobody really cares. I mean, I'll be just glad when she's disappeared completely. But there were other people in this list. The other people in the list were uh, Dean Gaffney. 
Nobody really cares about Dean Gaffney. Uh, Sally Burko, the woman who made a career out of humiliating him indoors. First with a photo shoot that was more readers than speakers' wives. Next via Celebrity Big Brother and then with her affair with his cousin. I mean, she really is just ghastly. Sally the Burke, she was known as. Katie Wasel, another one here. An X Factor contestant, you know the drill. She should be long gone by now, but like a persistent rodent infestation, she keeps reappearing sometimes to provide insight into what One Direction are really thinking, even though she probably hasn't seen them for five years and didn't even know them that well in the first place. And so it goes on. It's hilarious, really, isn't it? They all have their time in the spotlight. And they should all be reading my book, which is called So You Want to Be a Celebrity. Because that's what we're obsessed with now in this country. We're obsessed with celebrities. We're obsessed with what people do. We're obsessed... You know, if you're famous, then you're a target. If you're, if you're a target, it can be, you know, by anybody. You know, people don't like Cheryl Spagbol. They don't like Gemma Collins. Why? Because she's talentless. Absolutely talentless. They're only famous because they've been on the television. Without the television, you'd never hear of these people. You never would have heard of Chloe Maidley. Please, God, we never do again. But, you know, in the case of sort of Gemma Collins, it just looks like badly made, oversized drag. That's all it looks like. And when you hear it speak, you suddenly realise it hasn't even got command of English. Which is not so great, is it, at all? Uh, The other story was that that grandfather's back again. This is the one who was over in Saudi. He had homemade wine. And um, he says, I'm back here. Without the sun, I'd be stuck in prison. And I'm thinking, well, I don't really care, actually. They have laws in a country. And uh, they got you back again. He says, it was hell. I thought I'd die. Of course you did, dear. I was a fool for making wine. Yes, you were. I think that kind of sums you up, really. And uh, he hasn't ruled out returning to Saudi. Because that's where his work is. He works out in Saudi. Cuddling his daughter, you know, it's oh, it's all a bit romantic and lovely. He says, I need to get over the shock of what has happened before working out what to do next. And uh, I'm assuming it's go back there and carry on drinking. You know, I can't think of anything else. But we've saved his life, so hallelujah for that. There you go. The Christmas story to make you feel very glad that you weren't out there at all. Filthy Rich. What do you think this is a story about? This is Traveller's who've set up camp near uh, near some very expensive flats. This is alongside the Thames. This is in Fulham in West London. Uh, the gates to it were breached nine days ago. Apparently they used a disc cutter to cut the locks. Normally the police would arrest them, but the police, I'm afraid, in these cases are totally, totally useless. They're terrified of travellers. Terrified. You see them standing there thinking, oh my God, they've got us marked out. I've seen it on the television. We've seen the confrontations and everything else. Uh, anyway, the they've moved in and uh, already they've started dumping all their rubbish. They fly tip. That's what they do. They come and clear sites, and then they just fly tip it wherever they want. You go round certain areas of the country, and you'll find farmers who've had to put huge concrete blocks to stop people like this fly tipping. That's what they do. They fly tip. They fly tip. They cheat people out of money. They don't pay their taxes. They move into Greenbelt land. A spokesman for the uh, for the landowner who is Thames Water, surprisingly says we've started legal proceedings. And all they'll do is, you know, once they've actually, you know... I mean, they don't mind living among squalor. It makes no difference to them. They've been paid a small fortune to get rid of it. doesn't matter where they dump it. So they do. They dump it. And then, you know, probably in a month's time, they'll move on to somewhere else and they'll leave all this rubbish and the council will have to come round and pick it all up for them. I mean, my idea would be a lot better. Pick it all up, take it up in an aeroplane and drop it on them from a great height. Why not? 
Surely that makes perfect sense. It was their rubbish in the first place. They were the ones who put it there. Anyway, these penthouses that overlook are two and a half million quid, but you don't have to look out your window, do you? You don't have to sort of do things like this. It is, it's dreadful. It's not the only traveller story in the paper today, I'm afraid. There is, a, there is, a, there is another one. Uh, this is somebody who's been apparently cheating pensioners for ages. And they finally decided to send him to prison, which means that when he used to watch My Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, most of the episodes contained people being collected from prison in big flash cars, because I think it's absolutely hilarious. Perhaps they like the company of other men in there, I don't know. Oh, very odd. Mind you, having seen the state of some of the, uh, the people in the programme, you kind of sort of look and, and you kind of watch in a sense of disbelief, don't you? Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, we've got a, a great story about... Um, about a man who is pictured, and he's very clearly identified, uh, breaking into a car, and I think this was in Mayfair. Um, and after he'd done that, he's six foot tall. You can't miss him, because he's obviously a habitual thief. He slashes open the roof of this Porsche, thinking he can obviously get in and hot-rod it. Or hot-rod hot it? Hot-wheel it? Whatever, what do they call it? Hot-wire. Hot I wasn't wasn't even close. We like Hot Rod. We think Hot Rod's great. I think that, that that's probably the name of a porno star or something, isn't it? That would be sort of, you know, somebody who gives somebody a really butch name, Hot Rod, kind of thing. And uh, anyway, so he, he, he sort of climbs in. He slashes the roof, roof open, climbs in. Nobody says a word. The British public are, are quite used to this sort of thing on the streets of London. And uh, then he can't do it, so he climbs back out of the roof again. He hasn't quite mastered. Even though the alarm's going off, he hasn't quite mastered opening a door. Obviously not the brightest penny in the box. And uh, judging by the look of him, as I say, from what side of the tracks he comes, ladies and gentlemen, could be anybody's guess. And then he goes off uh, stealing and doing other things. And, uh, and, the, and the next car he actually gets, he sort of, he, he does get it. But he, uh, he marks it and everything else. I mean, just obviously thieves to order. You see, I don't know what the, what the deterrent would be for people like that. But we've talked about this before, and you think, if somebody did it to my car, well, they wouldn't do it to my car. They, they, they'd be going for a Porsche or something like that. My, my, my car's a little bit too identifiable. This just looks like bog-standard car. I don't know what it's worth, forty, fifty thousand, something like that. I don't know. But, uh, but mine, you know, if they manage to start it, good luck to them. It's got so many computers you've got to go through before you finally get to the blooming thing. You've actually got to read your name into the steering wheel. Hello, I'm Steve. Okay, Steve, we shall start the car. <laughs> Bloody joke, it's not like that at all, actually. You just put the key in. you just got to remember to put your foot on the brake. Otherwise, it uh, turns into a wee bit of a disaster. Uh, CJ says, watched your In Conversation with Martin Clune. It's very good viewing. Yes, I agree, actually. Very good viewing. They're all uh, good viewing this weekend for In Conversation. Next weekend is going to be Hugh Bonneville and David Tennant. I can tell you that now, because both of the things are relevant for next week. Uh, Sarah says, have you seen The Real Housewives of Cheshire? Oh, they're ghastly. They're really the most unattractive lot. I've never seen so many people with so many... They're just, they're just not very good, actually. It's a shallow, pale imitation of the Great American series. And they, uh, they had a new uh, Orange Housewives County one, which I quite liked the other day. That, that was fairly good. And uh, Vicky, who's a vile old bag. I mean, she really is vile. There's a few in there. There's one who professes to being Christian, and she's really got problems. And, uh, and then there's some bloke who's been out with most of the women in there. But Vicky screams. She really screams. She's a right old harridan. She's terrible. And I don't think she realises just how awful. And they always delighted putting something. Vicky got back with Brooke or with, with Dean or whoever it was. Uh, then they split up. Then they got back together again. At the moment, we don't know where we are. And that kind of summed her up. Horrible. I'd like to go over there and start pointing at her and going, you, you are horrible. Horrible on the series. 14 to 5. Steve Allen on LBC. 
So many good stories in the papers today. So many good stories. Anyway, nice to have your company. I trust already as we race through November and I've still not done the VAT. I'm going to do it today. I'm definitely going home to do it today. Definitely. Cubs honour, promise. You know, see this wet, see this dry, etc, etc. So it's uh, 10 to 5 and if you're not up yet and you're still lying there in bed thinking, do you know, I really... I mean, I was in the shower really early this morning. And I was, re- and I, I thought I'll have a really, really long shower. You know, when you really, really have a long shower. And I've still got this plastic thing on my arm to stop any water getting on it. And that's, it's a bit, I'll be glad when I can dispense with that and just have to look at how bad the arm's looking. But anyway, so I was sort of, uh, I was sort of in the shower. That was all very nice. Got out and had loads of time left. And luckily there was one of those interceptor programs, which was just starting. So I got my kicks on Route 66 on that one. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. I love watching them catching criminals. But then they always go at the end, oh, so-and-so, because there was no evidence to suggest the, the other, they decided to let them off with a caution. And you think, and here we are, building nine more prisons in this country because, because we're just absolutely riddled with crooks. And we found another one. Only this one was so dumb, really dumb. She appeared on Come Dine With Me. She's a, a primary teacher. That's what she is. Her, her name's Sophie Hunter-Brown. And... Um, she uh, she appears on Come Dine With Me, and the people at her local Asda go, we know who she is. That's that shoplifter. She's been caught shoplifting four times in there. Anyway, and she became notorious. In fact, eventually her picture was plastered on the staff room wall, and she was eventually confronted by a security guard. She thieves. But she's a primary school teacher, and, you know, surprisingly, um, they've allowed her to carry on being a primary school teacher. With a, with a record, I don't know how many parents would want their children taught by somebody like that. Anyway, she pleaded uh, guilty to three thefts worth £83, was given a conditional discharge, sorry, a conditional caution. She was also told to pay as the compensation was banned from all their stores. Uh, a disciplinary hearing was told she was a big spender. She's a primary school teacher, how can she be a big spender? Uh, oh, she's South Wales, and apparently she started thieving. Because she ran into financial difficulty. It's always the way, isn't it? Oh, I ran into financial difficulty, so I thought I wouldn't bother getting myself a job. I thought I'd just thieve from everybody else. But uh, she's at uh, Pontypridd, at the, uh, at the uh, primary school there. She denied knowing she'd not paid for food from April to July. She said it was a mistake not to check that the payments had gone through. It was the result of personal stress. load of old cobblers, of course, as per usual. Uh, asked why she'd admitted theft, she said, I didn't feel I could handle a court hearing and I didn't want to take time off work, so I just accepted it. But uh, so that they, they, they've let her off with a reprimand. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it, really? The things you can get away with in Welsh Wales nowadays. So you've got somebody like that, you know, who's, uh, who's a shoplifter, who's teaching children. And they go, oh, it doesn't interfere with what she does as a teacher. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. I'll tell you, if I was a parent, they'd be, the kids would be out of there so blooming fast. That's the way it works nowadays, isn't it? You have to sort of accept the fact that some people thieve and some people don't, and some people want to cheat people, and some people want to attack elderly people. There's a, there's a, a whole minefield out there of people who want to do damage to other people. There are people who shoplift, people who just walk into Marks and Spencers or Waitrose. They pick up a sandwich, they walk round an aisle, and then they walk straight out the front door. It's it's so easily done, you know. You know, I don't think I've ever seen anybody challenged by the uh, by the store detectives. Really, very uh, very not. Uh, how on earth could anybody attack the uh, the poppy seller? Says Noreen. Seventy one. Nick Ferrari is going to be talking about her this morning. They wanted a handbag. It's awful, really, isn't it? When you think years ago you could walk up and down, you know, in safety, even at night, people would sort of say, "Do you need to get home, Mum? You know, make sure you get home." And now, you know, your mum. Your, your frail dad, your next-door neighbour, anybody like that. Uh, we went to see Brooklyn yesterday. Brilliant film, says Noreen. 
Sandy's looking good. Uh, we will see it on the 22nd. I remember Hugh at your magic show. I couldn't remember his name, so one of my gorgeous friends asked him. How embarrassing. She says, we are going to the opening of a Dogs Trust charity shop tomorrow. I don't, we haven't got any. That's about the only one we've not got in Twickenham. We don't have one of the, uh, the Dogs Trust. We've got everything else. We've got everything else. Charity's big business, says uh, Tony. Well, obviously, Camilla thought the same with her charity. Well, it was big business in her case. I mean, it really was very, very big business. Very, very big business. And uh, we're still waiting to get to the bottom of it. I'd love to know what she's doing now for a living. She's just sort of sitting there staring at the walls. Is she? Do you think that that could be the case? Uh, Apparently, says little Julie, we need to batten down the hatches. 90 miles an hour. Winds from Hurricane Abigail. Gale. Lovely Christmas uh, display at Sandy's. Bradley in Canada is hoping we get a couple of inches of snow here to complete the scene. And she says we will come to a standstill if we do. Yes, I mean, the very idea that we get, we get snow and we sort of live through it. Because I was telling you the other day, I got pictures sent in from Jean, I think, in Canada, from a place called, I think, was it Jasper or something like that? And uh, it was like a blizzard. Very pretty if you're inside and you've got loads of soup and, uh, and French bread to keep you going through the thing. But if you haven't, you're stuck, aren't you? Absolutely stuck. Apparently, Cheryl Spagbol uh, had a very close friend for six months. It goes by the name of Mel B. Until one day, the contract didn't happen for Mel B. And so the friendship is no more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just... She does look like she spends most of her time in makeup, doesn't she? Most of her time in makeup. She might not. Perhaps it's just natural. And uh, another one here very quickly as we try and get as few in before the uh, five o'clock news. Shane the Train says, I stopped my train just before 11 yesterday and announced we would be observing the two minutes silence to remember the fallen. And noticed that passengers that got off actually stood on the platform until I sounded the horn to signify the end of the two minutes. I was quite impressed. Well, I'm, I'm quite impressed as well. Really? Because a lot of people just carried on doing what they were doing. I mean, I did my two minutes. You don't, nobody says you have to do it. It's just, it's out of politeness, really. It's out of politeness. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't sort of change anything. You can't bring any of them back. But I just think it's out of a courtesy to them. It's like wearing the poppy, isn't it? I had to explain to Hugh Bonneville yesterday because I did not have a poppy yesterday. I said, I have got a poppy. It's on my other coat. And he nodded wisely and said, yes, of course it is. I said, no, it is. I promise you, it really is. It's on my other coat and I didn't want it on the coat I've got at the moment. It doesn't have any buttonholes. So I can't really put a, put a poppy on there, which is, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Otherwise, I would have done. Otherwise, I would have done. Had, uh, had some lovely Christmas cards in today, sent to me by, uh, by Jean, who says, thank you for all the laughs. Actually, sometimes when you read some of the stories out of the papers, there's not that many laughs, are there, really? We do our best, though. We do our best to find out what we can for you. Anne O'Farrell in Shepherd's Bush uh, says, I spent the first three months in Charing Cross Hospital. I woke up with you every morning when you were talking about food and I wasn't able to eat. I'm now on the way to full recovery. So to all the uh, uh, staff on, is it Seven South, who were all quite wonderful? I know Charing Cross Hospital averagely well. A friend of mine was up on the 13th floor and she sent me a Christmas card with an advent calendar in it. It's nice, isn't it? I like, a, I like a good advent calendar, ladies and gentlemen, for Christmas. And we like Christmas cards. We've had a few in already, which is, uh, which is good. The story that we did the, uh, the other day, the Hollywood in shock over this Lothario with HIV. Apparently one woman he's already paying $20,000 a month to. $20,000 a month. So there's obviously something going on here and no doubt this will break, I suspect, within... What do we reckon? Reckon within a month it'll have broken on who the person is. 
There's already names on the internet, so uh, you can read those. I don't propose to tell you them now. Lidl's gone very posh for Christmas, which is what I said before. You can do that, and to attract wealthy shoppers, they've ditched their uh, garish blue and yellow signs for a more sophisticated wood and glass version. Self-service uh, tills will be introduced. They're spending £1.5 billion on 40 new modern glass and metal supermarkets and also will revamp its 623 existing stores. They will stop more of their luxury foods, including lobster and quail. I was looking in Sandy's the other day and the lobster moved. It moved backwards. It was in the window sitting on the eye. They generally sort of sort of nod off to sleep, don't they? Well, that's what they think. Uh, I don't like to disappoint them. And, and it moved backwards. I went, oh, God, it's moving. I feel too happy about that. I just can't enjoy lobster. I don't know why. I've tried it. I've been taken out. You know, Clive, uh, who sort of uh, looks after Nick Ferrari in the morning, he sort of took me out and a couple of others, and we went out and we had this lobster. And I was thinking, I don't know, why did I not like it? I mean, you know, there's nothing to matter with it. It's just, it's just, it doesn't agree with my palate. So I spent most of the time eating the fries, which, of course, isn't the kind of thing I should be eating at all. Uh, the other story that we're going to come up with a little bit later on is this, uh, this mum who hiccups a hundred times a day. She's been doing it for eight years. I think they have to get her on the television so people try not to laugh at her because it, it, it's probably quite funny. My mother, when she used to get the hiccups, if she'd had a couple of sherbets and she got the hiccups, every time she laughed, she hiccuped. And, of course, every time she hiccups, she laughed. So it was, it was a never-ending cycle, I'm afraid, of sort of hiccup. I mean, at some point, I say, I used to see her on her hands and knees in the kitchen, laughing so much and hiccuping at the same time. <laughs> uh, Yorkie Porter in the jungle. Uh, we told you she would already. She's apparently already stood under a shower trying to sort of stick her boobs out. So that's, uh, that's good news. And um, the other one was the, uh, the very nice vase or vase, which uh, was in this house. And it's beautiful. Uh, but the kids used to use it for playing, and it broke, but they stuck it back together again, and it came up in auction. And I'll tell you the sad story of that one a little bit later on this morning, because we've got the news at five coming up. Uh, the British granddad, who said he was humbled after returning home to the UK, he managed to uh, escape getting the lashes. Uh, the nation invaded by phony Maloney's, those whose 15 seconds of fame has run out a long time ago, and yet they still insist on boring the pants off everybody. The National Trust say the UK's coastline can't be saved. It's eroding faster than they can do anything about it. The innocent man burnt to death by vigilantes who thought he was a paedophile. But he wasn't. He was just special needs. And the police didn't do anything to help him, despite so many phone calls. Uh, banned gadgets at mealtime, says the Pope. And uh, the boss of a supermarket says the public won't buy wonky fruit and veg. Of course they will. Just repackage it. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Thursday. It's the 12th of November. I know, you know, it, what didn't it seem like a couple of days ago? We're going, oh, we're coming into November, and here we are, halfway through it already. You get paid in uh, in a matter of days, and then you're into the Christmas, and before you know where we are, we'll be into the new year. It's amazing. Vera's back, but in Emmerdale. Yes, Liz Dawn makes a guest appearance for Christmas. Uh, Penny's tears. I was assaulted at the age of 12 walking to my school. This is Penny Lancaster revealing this on the television yesterday on Loose Women. Uh, should all old-age pensioners be forced to take a retest, a driving test? 
We'll find out. Uh, the nation's invaded by phony Malonies and uh, donkeys. They always get more than war heroes, you know. We love animals. And also, the other scandal which is about to hit in this country uh, is the extra virgin olive oil. In Italy, where they're, they're sort of a bit aficionados of this, in Turin, they took 20 bottles off the shelves of a supermarket. They didn't discriminate, they just picked 20 at random. And they found that more than half of them were not the standard that they'd put on the outside. In other words, it was fake. In other words, they'd lied about what was in there. And it's some leading makes. In fact, some we even have in supermarkets in this country because the extra virgin olive oil has to be the first press of the harvest. And there are other rules governing it which make the process expensive and time-consuming. One of the, uh, the brands under investigation hit back yesterday. They said the inquiry was based entirely on taste tests by professional tasters that could not reliably say whether the oil met the standards of extra virgin. See, the trouble is, I think, you know, if you can make more money out of something like that and go extra virgin, because it costs more to have extra virgin olive oil. I speak completely out of context. I've got no idea what I'm talking about. The reason I say this is because I don't eat olive oil. I've been into restaurants before where they serve you bread and it comes with olive oil and a little black dip of whatever it is in the middle of it and you dip your bread in there and that's all very sweet and very nice. But I I couldn't claim to be an expert on it. I think some of the tins and some of the bottles look really lovely and that's about as far as it goes. So I don't know anything about it. I mean, I know that many of you will go out and probably buy olive oil on a, on a regular basis and you'll use it for cooking. Even though they've actually said now, as opposed to using oils, you should use butter and lard. Lard, they've said, for cooking. <sighs> Chips taste so much better in lard. <laughs> I only mention that now. I only mention it. So, yes, I'm watching uh, Loose Women and they've got Colleen Nolan hosting and she's a dreadful host. I think it's sort of some effort. They've sort of said, let's sort of spread it around a little bit. If we can't find a professional person, let's put in the girl who la la in the Nolans. And so they put her on there. And you can tell she can't read autocue very convincingly. She just sits there and reads it like she is reading a children's story. You watch her eyes moving along the script. It's hilarious. But, uh, but the moment came yesterday. They were talking, as we were uh, yesterday on LBC, about the schoolgirls who've been told to wear... Uh, tights and because their skirts are particularly short and then somebody wrote in to me in fact quite a few of you wrote in and said that a lot of girls and and they did it themselves when they were younger turn over the waistband at the top of the skirt to make it a little bit shorter which I'd never even thought of before but quite clearly must be right because a number of people wrote to me about it the other day anyway Penny and the rest of the team were talking about that yesterday and then uh, she said her attacker had pulled up her skirt and wrestled with her at the age of 12 when she was walking home from school. She said, being tall and strong, I managed to fight this man off. You know, she's married to uh, to Rod Stewart. Now, as far as I know, I've never heard this, this story before. But uh, it was very interesting uh, because her fellow panellists on the ITV programme Loose Women, including Colleen Nolan, offered to move the conversation on, but she insisted on telling her story. Now, I don't know whether this was rehearsed or whether they said, listen, she's going to tell you a story and you've got to go with it. I mean, she said there are lots of evil men out there that will prey on young girls, so it doesn't matter what they wear, so they shouldn't be to blame. However, she added that while it was up to parents what their children wear on the street, they should be given advice on safer outfits and sensible for skirts to be at least knee length. And for that bit, I I agree with her. You see some very odd people standing at bus stops now. Some very odd people, really. And uh, girls there with very, very short skirts 
And and you think to yourself, now, was it that short when you walked out of the house this morning? I think it's up to parents to offer some sort of guidance. And also, you know, for, for girls to be protected. You know, they have to be protected out there. It never happens to boys, because they're never going to be out wearing a skirt. Well... Not that many of them nowadays, but there will be some people out there. And so normally she travelled to school with friends, but on this particular day, she was alone. She'd been at choir practice. Children should definitely be advised to not travel alone. I see it all the time. You probably see it. I mean, I'm, you know, because I'm in the middle of London here, when I come in in the early hours of the morning, you do see girls by themselves staggering along and you think, where are your friends? Where are your friends? It's awful, really. But uh, anyway, that, so that, that was a bit of a revelation yesterday when she broke down. So that makes all the, all the papers for today. And there's also the story of a man here. Police uh, officers failed a disabled man. He was burnt to death by vigilante neighbours, despite making at least a dozen calls for help. His name was uh, Bijan uh, Ebrahimi. He was beaten and set on fire by uh, a man here after being falsely branded a paedophile. Um, you know this story because it happened some time ago. Uh, the killers thought he was a paedophile. We had this down in Portsmouth. Do you remember the story in Portsmouth where they actually set a paediatrician's house on fire because they thought paediatrician meant meant paedophile, which of course it doesn't. And so that was uh, that was a bit uh, a bit bad news. There's also the mother and her sons linked to a gang crime wave. I mean, you couldn't you can't make some of these stories up now, can you? You really can't make them up because they 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 almost beg a belief that there is a crime wave going on in Manchester, and this woman here apparently has now been restricted. Catherine McCann and her son Jordan banned from parts of the uh, the city. And um, because they're, they're linked to a whole load of... They've all been given these orders saying you can't go out and you can't do anything. You're not to talk to anybody. And uh, they, they, they call these things gangbos. I think they must have just invented the word. I've never heard of it before at all. And they last until April. They ban them from various parts of Salford. But where you've got this sort of woman... You begin to wonder what, what place are we living in at the moment where you've got gangs going on in Salford. And then you look at this poor woman and her son Jordan who've been banned. And quite clearly, I mean, she's a bit deranged. The whole family, they just sort of look like those sort of people. And, and, but so they've got gangbos. I like a gangbow. I mean, perhaps we should have some gangbos in London. Probably more more uh, more uh, use of having them in London, but Manchester is getting terrible at the moment. Every time I open up the newspapers, there's another story about about Manchester and the dreadful things that go on there. Whereas every time I've ever been to Manchester, I've quite liked it. I've stayed in some nice hotels, well, apart from one I didn't like at all. Everybody said to me, "It's so trendy. You're going to love Malmaison, Steve." Well, of course you do if you like designer stuff, but I do, I'm a bit more trad. I like the old-fashioned hotels with the big high ceilings, the big solid furniture, the gold ormolu and all that kind of malarkey and a marble bathroom. Malmaison was a bit stark for me. In fact, it was, it was a bit of a realist thing because the person I went up to Manchester with said, I booked us into Malmaison. It should be really good. It was brand new at the time. And so we get in there and I, I looked around and thought, where's all the gold? <laughs> where's the it's all the stuff I'm used to. And I didn't get any of that in there at all. And in fact, that was the place. Wasn't one member of One Direction thrown out of a Malmaison because he trashed the room? I didn't actually think there were that many things to trash in my room. Some of the old hotels had loads of stuff to trash in. Uh, CJ says, I prefer scrambled egg on toast with honey-cured bacon to lobster. I know, well, I see. I spoke to a friend of mine. He's not very well uh, the other day. And um, he keeps having smoothies. With all the right things in there, ginger and spinach and this and that, and I'm sort of going, yeah, OK, that, that's fine, that's fine. But 
you know, should you not be having some solids? Thinking I was being quite helpful. And he said, yeah. I said, what, what, what do you really fancy? He said, you know what I really fancy? He said, I really fancy a ham and cheese toasty. So I said, well, have a ham and cheese toasty, thinking that would solve the problem. He said, I haven't got any ham. I said, why don't you just have a cheese toasty? I said, why don't you have cheese and bacon? He said, we haven't got any bacon in either. I said, well, why don't you send somebody out to go and get you some bacon? Some nice, some nice honey-cured bacon. Canadian maple, that maple bacon they do. I said, do that and then see how you go with half a toasty sandwich and then do the other half if you can manage it. Because at the moment, he's, uh, he thinks he's got the onset of Crohn's. So it's not exactly a, a great time with it. So I said, well, you know, have it. Whether or not he had it last night, I shall find out later on today. But I hope so, because you cannot live on smoothies alone. No matter what you put in them, you need some solids. You need some fats that are going into your body. You need these things. You know, I would have recommended avocado, seeing as it's now the uh, the be-all and all, uh, the be-all and uh, saviour of people. Now they go avocado on toast, avocado mashed up with pineapple, which is how Anne Whittacombe likes it, with a little bit of gin and a drop of brandy. It sounds quite delicious. Mashed avocado, which is uh, lovely. Just have it as a dip, I suppose. But uh, scrambled egg on toast, I love. I also love an omelette. I love an omelette. Dean says, I like to support a few smaller charities uh, as opposed to some of the big ones. Yeah, I think sometimes the smaller charities are more grateful. The big ones, when you don't... I had no idea that the Donkey Sanctuary took in 21 million last year. It only goes to prove how successful their advertising campaign is. Because it, it was very successful. When I watched it on the telly, it, it did make you want to reach for the, for the telephone. Because you look at all these... And then you think 21 million. That means an awful lot of donkeys are being looked after. I'd love, love, love to see what their, what their bank balance is. But actually, if they're part of the, uh, of the charities, then it should be, uh, should be open. You should be able to find out exactly how much money they've actually got sitting in the, in the bank account. Uh, another one here says, uh, why don't they give away wonky fruit and veg for free? Well, I agree. Why don't they give it to pensioners? Does anybody... Do you really care whether your fruit and veg is wonky or not? I don't care if it's wonky. Seriously, it never bothers me. I don't think... In fact, actually, Esther Ranson made a career out of showing you odd-shaped vegetables. And she'd sit there covering her mouth with a hand as she was laughing to show you something that might have looked like, you know, a part of the male anatomy. <laughs> they wouldn't have a problem clearing shelves, though, would they? If they just put, you know, would you like to buy a bag of wonky vegetables? You know, some misshapen sprouts, misshapen carrots. Mis- you know, people would do things like that. That'd be all right. That'd be good for pensioners. Just say, listen, it's a, it's a pound for a bag of wonky vegetables. Call them wonky vegetables. Kids would go crackers for that kind of stuff. Kids like that idea. You could sell it to kids. Wonky vegetables. Are we having wonky vegetables, Mum? Yep. Wonky vegetables for us tonight. And you could do them cheaply, you know, and then those people who want perfect vegetables can have perfect vegetables. I mean, I don't care either way. I don't care either way. I'd eat a wonky vegetable or a, or a perfect vegetable. I really don't care. Quarter past five. Sound that will haunt me forever. Uh, Nick and the team at breakfast this morning. A blundering Englishman abroad as Boris Johnson's Palestinian trips cut short after his pro-Israeli remarks. Can the mayor be trusted on the world stage? A 71-year-old poppy seller fights for her life after a brutal mugging. Are we losing respect for the elderly? And as Becky Watts's stepbrother and his girlfriend are found guilty of killing the 16-year-old, how long are they likely to spend behind bars? All of that and more with Nick Ferrari from Seven. Adam Bolton, presenter of Sky News Tonight, is looking at the papers. And that's all after the morning news with Lisa Aziz, who is uh, in the building even as I speak. Uh, and somebody said, out of interest, why didn't you offer to get your friend some ham? What are you, stupid? I'm in Twickenham and they're in deepest Hampshire. Why would I offer to get them some ham? 
They can find their own way to the shops. What do you think this is? I'm not some sort of social service of going out and buying people ham, for goodness sake. Uh, re-wonky vegetables. Have you ever tried peeling a carrot that's shaped like a helter-skelter? Listen, you're talking to the wrong person here. I don't peel anything. I buy everything ready-prepared. The very idea that I could actually go into Paul Cooper's shop and actually buy sprouts and peel them and peel carrots and peel potatoes is laughable. You know, I can just about manage to take the skin off an orange. But I certainly couldn't manage anything else. I mean, I know people do it. My mother used to buy potatoes. I see people buying fresh fruit and vegetables, you know, every day of the week. Not for me. I have to go and buy already prepared. It's, it's the easiest way for, for me. I'm just not that sort of person. I'm not, I don't want to spend time in the kitchen. As you know from last uh, last couple of weeks' uh, experience. So uh, definitely not. Definitely not. And um, James says, on the subject of pensions, when the time comes, will you collect yours each week or give it to charity? Well, I feel as I'm giving to charity already, actually. I feel as I give to charity al- al- already. So uh, I never think about pensions, actually. Do people think about pensions? I don't know. Why, why would people think about that? I always think you have to think and live for the day. Live for the day and then worry about what, what tomorrow is going to bring. We've had a bit of that uh, recently. Should all OAP drivers be forced to take a retest? Now, some, I know some people who are in excess of 70, shall we say, and uh, they're perfectly fine. They're perfectly fine. Some people I do see on the roads and I do think to myself... Oh, dear. You see a little... I mean, I know it's going to sound, sound dreadfully sexist, but little old lady, and all you can see is just the top of her head behind the wheel. And, and as you go past, you look and you go, Oh, dear, I'm not sure you should be behind the wheel of the car. You look a bit scary to me. Uh, most people are saying... You know, I mean, there's one here who is Eileen Ash, and Eileen says, I've been on the road for 78 years. I've never had a single accident. No, she's seen loads in the rearview mirror, though. <laughs> loads. Kamikaze cars everywhere. So, 78 years... And um, and another one here, this is Ben Brooks, who's a safety campaigner, who said those who have had a stroke don't even have to inform the DLA. No, and yet, strangely enough, if you're a diabetic, you have to inform the DLA. And my licence uh, runs out next year. I'm on a three-year restrictive licence because I'm diabetic. Like most people, That's why a lot of diabetics don't tell DVLA they're diabetic. They keep it quiet because they know that they're going to be put on a short-term licence. I completely forgot that they knew that I was diabetic. I probably thought I was being really clever. But in fact, it's, it's been a bit of a millstone. So I know that probably around January, I'm going to be getting a big file of paper in from the DVLA, which we then give to the docs. Oh, look, moonwalking at your age. Look at that, eh? Woo, Michael Jackson next door. Sort of. And, um, and so this, this sort of book thing will arrive, and I give it to the doctor, and the doctor will fill in and tick, you know, has he had an attack at the wheel? No. Has he ever had an attack? No. You know, I've never had a hypo. Never had a hypo. So all of these things go down, and then they go, right, here's another three-year licence. But uh, if you've had a stroke, though, you don't have to inform the DVLA. But then, you know, that's the same as anybody. I mean, anybody can be driving a car and have a stroke or have a heart attack at the wheel. Anybody could do it. You know, or you could have a blowout on the motorway, one of the tyres, you could have an act. All sorts of things can happen. You don't really know, do you? You really don't know exactly what's going to happen out there. In the case of uh, of diabetes, I suppose, if you've got a history of having hypos, then they're not going to risk you going back out on the road again, just in case you have one and you're a danger to other motorists. But I imagine you're as much of a danger to other motorists if you've been drinking behind the wheel or if you've smoked marijuana uh, or something like that. I mean, I, I see bad driving every day. Every day. I tell you the one thing I noticed. I was out with a friend of mine last week, and you can be sitting at red traffic lights, and a car will just completely just go over them like they haven't seen the fact it's a it's a red traffic light. I never understand that. There's never never a policeman around when you kind of need one. You feel like saying, "Them, they've just driven over a red traffic light," but I suppose they've got better things to do. Actually, uh, another one here as we read everything out on the program. Uh, Kieran Dyer 
Kieran Dyer, as you know, is giving his entire fee for appearing in I'm a Celebrity to charity in memory of his baby brother. It's thought to be around £100,000, so read about 60000 They always try and overhype it, make him look as though they're a bit more important. His brother was stillborn when Kieran was seven, and uh, so he's going to give that to a stillbirth charity. Now, whether or not that's done as a, you know, so people go, oh, that's nice, that's nice. You know, he's, he's done something good, let's let him win. I don't know. I'll tell you where the uh, some of the taxi drivers are going to be today a little bit later on, just after six. In fact, I've got two appeals for uh, for licensed taxi drivers today. And Michael Dennis, the black cab poet, uh, sent me a, one of his little poems. I can't remember if we've done this one before, actually. This one's called Big Brother. Ties in quite nicely with what we were just talking about a moment ago, about people jumping red traffic lights. He says, let it be known we're watching you. We monitor the things you do, the time each day you leave your house, how long you've lived there with your spouse. We know sometimes you like to go to town to see a West End show, your weekly supermarket spend, the home address of your best friend, where you went on your holiday that every now and then you play backgammon on the internet and on odd Saturdays, you bet. Or how your football team will do, and if they lose, it makes you blue. Every exam you took at school, the teachers labelled you a fool. Your misdemeanours and misdeeds... The fact your granny sometimes feeds the pigeons on the cricket green. Your driving test age 17. You also sometimes don't adhere to regulations that appear over-officious and unjust due to your cynical mistrust of people in authority demanding your conformity with every little rule we make as you think we're all on the take. We'll scrutinise and spy on you. We have nothing better to do. We'll keep on tightening each screw in order to raise revenue. It's in our best interests, you see, to watch you on CCTV. For if you should step out of line, we'll hit you with a heavy fine. Because you are watched, and I forget, and Michael probably know better than I will, of how many cameras there are watching you as you drive around town. Somebody said that if you come in on the M4, and I can only highlight the M4 because it's about the only one I know, um, I think the, uh, the cameras there, isn't it something like between the M4 and actually getting to Leicester Square, I can be hit by something like 200 cameras. 200 cameras can monitor me. So so when you see people who sort of try and get away with things, then they show you the clip back on the television. You know, the buses have got them, the trains have got them. Everybody's got CCTV. I told you before, we have my home, we've got 16 cameras. You can't even enter our property without being caught by at least four cameras. You know, front door, car parks, everything. Back door, walkways, everything. All caught on, on camera. All caught on camera. Because uh, at one time you couldn't use it in court. It wasn't admissible evidence because they thought it could be doctored. And, uh, and now they say, yes, it can, actually. It, it can. Very, very interesting. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Do you know, thousands of you have not had your flu jab. You've not bothered. I know some people say don't bother, because every time I get mine, I manage to make myself ill. Surgeries, on average, have vaccinated 100 fewer patients compared to the same period last year. And some have stopped ordering vaccines because the fridges are full. Because you go in there and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm getting a bit better with injections. I'm not, I'm not the world's most brilliant, as you know, even though I inject every day. But I'm just, but their, their needles are bigger than mine. Mine's not a particularly big needle. And I sort of look at them and you go in there and they go, okay, here we go. And you look at them and you think, why is that needle so big? In fact, actually, it just gave me a shudder up my body because I can, I can picture needles and I, I see them quite clearly in my sleep sometimes. Which isn't particularly good, is it, really? Uh, one of Pat Edry's daughters is in the paper today. In fact, she's in a, a few of the uh, papers. And um, she told of her anguish at the legendary jockeys losing fight against alcoholism. I didn't know that. I thought it was something else, but it was alcoholism, apparently. And... Um, 
Edry had two other children uh, with wife Caroline Mercer after their 78 wedding. They divorced in 2009. And uh, Natasha has revealed the damage her amazing father's fight with the bottle wreaked on his family. She said, beside a picture of him in his prime, she said, it's been five years since I last saw him. The last time I saw him face to face was when I brought him home straight from rehab and he drank straight away. And that's, you know, but that's that's an illness, isn't it? That's an illness. She said, I, I knew that we would lose him to his demon drink because true alcoholics drink all, all hours of the day or night. I know because I've worked with a couple of alcoholics and it's really difficult, really, really difficult. Time now is 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. I don't know what the weather's going to be like for today, but uh, I think gales, have they said, and rain in parts of Scotland. So let's see if we can find it for you for this morning, and uh, we'll bring it a little bit uh, later on to you. So uh, you can do there. In our sleepy Hertfordshire market town, says Val, we don't leave the decision of shoplifting just down to the store detectives. The other day, we were all given stills from the CCT. V, to look out for some men who'd previously been suspected of shoplifting. When they were spotted in the shop, it was all hands on deck as we mingled with shoppers looking busy and they left empty-handed. Even though we work for a large supermarket, we're very protective of our stock and our great teamwork. Yes, I mean, you do tend to get uh, people who just move into a town. We have a system as well, I think, in Twickenham, whereby, you know, if a certain group of shop key, uh, shoplifters are seen, then uh, through a system of radios and stuff like that, and the police, they tell people they're in town or, you know, there are people trying to pass false notes or things like that, and so people are aware of it. And it's up to um, it, it's up to you as well. If you see a shoplifter and you know that the place has got a store detective, you just point them out to them and go, they're shoplifting, OK? You know, do yourself, get, get some brownie points. Because, of course, it's in your best interest to report these people because the more they thieve, the more the supermarkets put the prices up. Which is not so good, is it? Not so good. And uh, thank you very much indeed to Nightwing. Thank you for that one. Telling me about some, uh, some problems with some other travellers. Would people buy uh, windy fruit and veg? I'm not sure I would take off. Yesterday in Asda, I genuinely have... Calvin, put that down. That's foreign fruit. We don't eat foreign fruit. Have a nice banana instead. I love the idea that bananas are native to this country. <laughs> That's quite... But mind you, I don't think people realise, do they? And what would be foreign fruit? Would that be a pineapple or something like that? We don't eat foreign fruit. I think some of the, some of the foreign fruit is delicious. But uh, I agree with you. At the moment, there is uh, lots and lots of English apples out there. There's pear. I bought some pears in this morning. I can't work out if pears are good for you. Are pears good for you? I don't know. A little bit difficult to tell. I mean, they all seem, you know, they seem, seem quite nice. Uh, for you mums listening at the moment, it's, uh, it's not your day, is it? Every day, I don't know how mums do it. I really don't. Actually, there's two things about mums. The first thing is somebody wrote to me and said, you know, I can't understand how mums, and you see it every day, walking down the street, pushing a pram, on the phone. Who are they talking to? Who are they? How did we cope before mobile telephones? How did we ever... Ma- what are these people talking... It's like on the train. You'll hear somebody. I've seen people on the train and they start a conversation at Waterloo. They're still going way past Clapham Junction. What are they talking about? Do they literally spend their entire lives on the telephone? So, yeah, so where are you? Oh, right, I'm on the train. Very, very exciting conversations, aren't they? And uh, so somebody said to me, have you noticed the women with the prams and the pushchairs and on the mobile phones? And I said, yes, I have. I see it every day. It's like people who actually get off the train in the morning and they're reading a book. They're walking towards you down the platform, reading a book. And you think, 
Are you stupid? <laughs> why, why would you be reading a book? I can understand somebody on the telephone because you're looking straight ahead, but when you're reading a book, you're looking down. I've seen people on their Kindles getting off the train and walking towards you. They're very odd people. Very odd. Anyway, for you mums... It's all go, isn't it? It's all go from around about 6.42, so nearly quarter to seven in the morning, up until uh, seven minutes past eight, which is the first time that you sit down and put your feet up. That's how bad it gets now. 8.07pm is known as mum's time, because mums have to wash and clean and get the kids to school and go and collect the kids from school. In between that, you've got to go and actually get the shopping done. You've got to get the housework done. You've got to sort out, oh God, more school uniforms, more washing, another load in the washing machine, drag it all out again. Then there's all the washing up. More than 30% of children do help out, but they do it grudgingly. They go, that's what mum does. Mum does cooking, cleaning, ironing, making sure we're all ready for school. You know, whereas I would subscribe to the get yourself ready for school. What are we having for breakfast? Well, I don't know. It's in the cupboard. Go and get some cornflakes out. Can you manage that? You know, admittedly, you're not going to trust them cooking breakfast for you, are you? But uh, less than three hours chill out time before going to bed. Uh, Most mums grab a glass of wine. Apparently more than 17% grab a glass of wine. 83% watch telly and 40% catch up on social media or shop online. By which time they are completely exhausted. So I know what it's like. I've been into people's houses who've got children and the mound of, <coughs> excuse me, washing and ironing that needs doing is almost ludicrous. Small wonder that mums don't exactly have, uh, have enough time to actually, you know, sit down and, and sort of start sort of... They just want to... And they sit down in front of the... T- they just want to go to sleep, I should imagine. But there's always demands on them, isn't there? At what point do the kids go, I can manage that by myself? I'll tell you what, Mum, because we never do it. You stay there. I'll go make you a cup of tea. You don't see that. They re- they don't think about it. They think, no, Mum's here. She makes a cup of tea. So Mum is up and down like a yo-yo. It's very difficult. So seven minutes past eight. Check it yourself. That's the time, they say, that you actually get me time. Uh, Will says, I guess Adrian Love was one of them. What, an alcoholic? He did enjoy a bevy, did Adrian Love. Oh, yes, absolutely. I worked with him on many an occasion when he was uh, quite clearly... Although he was he was a sort of alcoholic, you'd be hard-pushed to find out. Because I don't think, unless they're sitting by the side of the road clutching a tin, I don't think you'd know what some alcoholics look like. They just look like ordinary people. They just happen to drink an extraordinary amount of booze. And in Adrian's case, he uh, he did drink. I imagine it didn't help really, actually, because Adrian's producer was an alcoholic as well. So it was sort of the lesser of two evils. But you wouldn't have known. He didn't. He didn't seem to slur his words. He didn't sort of fall over or anything like that. He seemed to be able to handle. He was as thin as a rake, though, thin as a rake. Because mainly people who are alcoholics don't eat. The the, the alcohol becomes their food. So my my producer used to push the food around the plate. Even the people in the restaurant said, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't really eat a lot. I said, well, of course he doesn't, but he'll sit there with a with a full pint of lager and he'll he'll manage that quite nicely. I was persuading somebody in the office the other day. He said, he said, what's your phone like? Because I've got an Apple. I don't have the latest iPhone. I really I didn't think there was anything about the latest that was going to tempt me. It's it's an Apple, so I've I've got this one. And uh, he sort of had a look at it. He said, do you like it? I said, I do like it. I said, when I first got it, because it's quite large, I thought this is never going to work. I'm never going to manage this. But it it in fact works quite well. He said, right, that swayed me. So he's, uh, he's going to, to upgrade, as they say. Worse than using hands-free, says Ollie. Um, uh, they always look like they're talking to themselves. Are the people on public transport who took on the hands-free but insist on lifting the phone to their mouths? Yes, do you see that? They're actually holding the phone in front of them, and yet they're sort of connected. So, so yeah, 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 
Yeah, we had somebody on the phone the other day. It was like that on the train. I'm always fascinated fascinated by people's phone habits. I mean, there is no point in holding the bottom of the phone to your mouth as your voice isn't being transmitted from there. And also, I think the reason people don't like holding it up to the ears is because they're so worried that they're going to get some some sort of radiation, isn't it? And then they've, they've proved that there is no radiation, so it's not going to make any difference at all. But some people still still worry about it. They sort of worry. So they do hold the phone up in front of themselves. Which I have to be honest, I, I, I do sometimes laugh at just the, the, the sheer pointlessness of, of everything nowadays. And uh, it was Paul who was talking about the mobiles and the mums. Yeah, I mean, how you manage to push a pram and, uh, and at, at the same time speak on the, on the telephone. I have no idea. No idea at all. Uh, I bet shoplifting has raised since the plastic bag charges. Now people just carry out the items. Yes, before you could actually tell if they'd shoplift, couldn't you? Now you can't tell. I suppose some people, they walk out actually holding a receipt. I came back, says Steve, from Thailand on Monday, and they were dressing the huge Christmas tree outside, outside the central shopping mall where I stayed in my favourite city. Uh, the tree was stunning. Well, very shortly, the tree in Trafalgar Square will be going up, and uh, they will have uh, cut that down. And it's probably winging its way over. I can't remember exactly what day it is that the tree arrives in Trafalgar Square, but it will be absolutely, uh, absolutely spectacular, as per usual. And then I always think that, you know, in between them and Sandy's, that's, that's generally when sort of Christmas uh, has uh, practically arrived, practically arrived. Um, pay mums to quit cigarettes is a story in one of the papers today. Pregnant mums are two and a half times more likely to quit smoking if they're paid in shopping vouchers. Why do you have to pay people in shopping vouchers? I mean, is it cheaper to do that than let them go through the NHS? Apparently, smoking is thought to cause 5,000 miscarriages a year and about 100 stillbirths and 100 infant deaths. A trial found that women paid £400 gave up faster than those not paid. It's not easy to stop smoking. I know, I've tried it twice. First time I thought I'd cracked it. But then it turns out I hadn't because I made that fatal mistake, which all smokers do, which is perhaps I could just have one a week. And that was the bit that was the downfall. So I had one one cigarette um, and that was and that was fatal. I was back on them straight away that night, having given up for two years, having given up for two years. And I was I was so cross with myself. I thought, this is ridiculous. And then I thought, after I gave up the second time, I thought, when you think about it, in reality, you should be able to give up smoking. It shouldn't be that difficult. I know it is difficult because it's very addictive. But in theory, you must be really weak if you can't stop it. But I'm not here to preach to you about smoking because, you know, if you want to smoke, you'll smoke. If you don't want to smoke, you won't smoke. Uh, Pears says, Jay, aren't very good for you for a diabetic because they contain sugar. Well, every fruit contains sugar. Every single fruit contains sugar. It's fructose everybody's got it. Diana says, with my sight damage from the stroke, I could still drive. My consultant at Moorfields told me, uh, as I could read the test chart, I could drive. The fact that my sight is impaired, looking to the left or right, and I have a shower of blind spots, is not counted. It's balmy. So if you can read the the test, then you're, you're OK. You see, I can, I can read that as well. My eyesight's very good. I have my eyes tested on a, on a regular basis. And so I, I like to make sure that I can. I wear glasses for reading. Um, and to be honest with you, I go into a mild panic if I discover I've walked out without bringing glasses with me because I cannot read anything. And if you saw the size font on my telephone, you'd probably laugh. But it's only because I look at some... T- People show me their phones, which are about half the size of mine. And they say, can you read that? And I go, 
No. Or failing that, as somebody said the other day, said, look at this. I said, I haven't got my glasses with me. I can't see it. Well, I could see it, but it's not as, not as clear as it should be. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Apparently, pears, conference or ripe and ready. Suggestion, crackers or Melba toast with cheddar or blue cheese. Oh, no. See, I'm, I'm not. A cheddar I can cope with, not, not blue cheese. Oh, yuck, thank you. No, definitely not. But pears on toast. There you go. Something else. Or pear brandy. That sounds quite nice, doesn't it? Not at this time of the morning, you understand. Quarter to six. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Ten to six is the time. And uh, tomorrow we'll have uh, a couple of clips for the guests for this weekend's In Conversation. Uh, Both authors. One is the number one best-selling crime writer, Martina Cole, who's just recently had her novels The Take and The Runaway adapted to the screen, and Robert Harris, the best-selling novelist on Conspiracy Swindles and How Certain Rules and Themes in Politics Remain Constant Whatever the Era. So two really good conversations. If you're fans of either Martina Cole or Robert Harris, that's for this weekend's In Conversation. And tomorrow at about uh, 5.30, I think, we'll have a couple of little uh, a couple of little clips. Now, next week, for In Conversation, we've already recorded them, uh, it'll be David Tennant... Such a good interview. And Hugh Bonneville, always welcome. I do say at the beginning of the interview, I said, I think this is the only person who's ever done in conversation three times. Three times he's done. You think, no, three. This is his third. The first one we talked about Downton. You, yeah, I can't. I, I think he's the only one who's ever done three. Oh, right. You, you're amazed there's only one person who's ever done three. Yeah. I do, um, oh, I don't know now, actually. The mic, of course, somebody now will tell me. They'll go, actually, no, you did so-and-so three times as well. Uh, Paul Brown uh, made a, a, a very nice little film uh, with his uh, son. Very, very inspiring. I love black and white films, as you know. So I was very impressed by that. And, uh, and Sally, looking forward to finding out what exactly we've, uh, we've got from the London taxi drivers. And I'll tell you about that just after the news at six. And, uh, and somebody was saying about uh, David Tennant, he was uh, one of the best... Doctors, yeah, that's what the the surveys say. He's the, he's the most. I, I'm trying to think of a way to describe David Tennant, which doesn't sort of do him any disservices. He's so he's just matter of fact about it. He's just matter of fact about it. He's not. He's a bit like Hugh, Hugh Bonneville. They're not. Uh, neither of them are sort of you know pompous actors at all. They just do it and get on with it. It was funny because when Hugh was in America, when Downton was screened, and people were saying, "Oh, it must be nice to be um, you know sort of uh, discovered." And he said, I've been in the business for 25 years. He said, I've done loads of stuff, which, of course, he has loads and loads of stuff. So uh, you're going to get those next week on the programme. He's talking about Water Aid and David Tennant's talking about, I think, on the 20th uh, in eight days time on Netflix, you get Jessica Jones. And he's uh, he's evil. He is evil. Definitely. Um, a while ago, you tweeted. Oh, sorry. Alison tweeted me about the, the show Outlander. I haven't uh, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen. There's so many things people keep sending me in to see, and uh, and so far I'm just not doing very well with actually catching up with things. Uh, Bradley is the one who said you actually need um, you need snow to complete the to complete the scene, but you know we don't do very well with snow in this country. We are terrible. And uh, Ben, he said. Um, uh, we're tuned in for the 4 a.m. spike after a night van driving back through the Mid- Midlands down back to London. And uh, Ben is a modest superhero and an international sex god. Well, that, that's what he thinks he is. <laughs> Other people might have, a, might have a different opinion. He obviously likes a drink and he likes a good burger as well. There's something appealing about burgers, aren't they? I did have, and I, much to my deep embarrassment, I had another one of those things the other day. They call it a sandwich. It's bacon and uh, sausage 
patty sandwich with onions and cheese in. But it's, it's, it's actually quite nice. I don't normally like things like that at all. But I, I have had a couple. And uh, Steve says, uh, Steve, why are people so fervently against the white poppy? Why can't we use both for remembrance and peace? Listen, you're never going to get everybody to agree on poppies. You're never going to get everybody to agree on the two-minute silence. You're never going to get everybody to agree on any one item. There's always going to be people who are who are sort of against something. So if I say black, somebody will say white. If I say white, somebody will say black. You're always going to get that. You're never going to be able to please all the people all of the time. Not even the almighty managed to get that one. Uh, Big Brother is a new one, says Michael Dennis. That was the poem we read to you earlier on. And he said, you don't... You don't peel veg. He said, and there was me going to leave Courtney a 50 kilo bag of sprouts for you for Christmas. I think Courtney would be taking them home, actually. I wouldn't know what to do with them at all. I really wouldn't know what to do with them. And uh, somebody says, Steve, it's too early. Humbug for the uh, for the Christmas lights and stuff like that. Never too early. Never too early. But uh, Courtney would always be uh, the one that you have to get through downstairs. A 50 kilo bag of sprouts. I talk to Courtney every day. I either catch him as I'm going out of the building or I see him a bit later on and he sort of fills me in on all the latest gossip and I tell him what I've not done as well. So uh, it always works quite well. And Harry, Harry was uh, uh, who works on our front desk with all the other guys down there, Gary and uh, Imran. And who's the other one down there? Gary, Imran. Who's the other one? Aussie, of course, Aussie. That's right, Gary, yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, they, they were showing me the other day, Harry was, a new shirt... Because I quite like Larry shirts from Tommy Bahamas. Well, he's got a website, uh, which I which I then went on to Amazon because they they said you can buy this on Amazon. And these are Indian shirts, not the not the same quality as the Tommy Bahamas, but they're made up of all different bits of material. Have you seen them? I quite like them. Has he got? Well, I went on to this this website and. Um, I thought they were fantastic because I remember having one years ago. Now, admittedly, the material is not the best quality, but they're only like 15 quid a shirt. So I bought three and they're going to arrive today. So Courtney's going to send me a thing going, your parcel's arrived. I'll leave it on reception and you can collect it on uh, on Sunday. And I can't even remember the name of the company, but they were they were really good. And I love and the co- colours are very vibrant. Need something for Christmas, something just to sort of. Cheer everybody up at Christmas a little bit. Um, what do kids want to learn in school? You won't believe this. I think it's quite educational. They want to learn how to wire a plug. Not only how to wire a plug, they want to know how to unblock a toilet, how to assemble flat, <laughs> flat pack furniture. And if you've ever tried to assemble flat pack furniture, you know the problems that you can encounter. They also want to change a car tyre. No, 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 no. Never change a car tyre. Join the RAC or the AA or Green Flag. Join anybody. Do never, do not ever change a car tyre. I tried to do it on my car once. Seriously, I must have lost weight doing it. The sweat was pouring off me. My tyres are huge and they're filthy dirty. And I did not have a pair of gloves in the boot of the car. To put them on. I don't know why I changed it. The AA and the RAC always tell me whenever they uh, come out, uh, they say that they get called out more for flat tyres. Mainly because there's builders everywhere leaving nails and screws and all sorts of things. If ever I see them in the road, I drop them in the drain. Because I don't want anybody else to get flat tyres. It's very annoying. Very expensive as well. So what if you've got a little tiny car, but very expensive on big cars. So uh, don't ever try and change a tyre. That's the whole idea of joining the uh, the services. Uh, they also think that, um, that, the, that the schools... Uh, haven't taught them enough to get through life with drama, art and French listed as the least useful. Yes, I mean, art, I never quite understood the point of art. We used to do it at school, and I can remember in one of them, 
one of my schools, uh, the art class uh, comprised of writing letters of the alphabet. But not just any letters of the alphabet. You had to draw a box. And if you were doing a letter O, then you sort of divided the middle of each side of the box. And then you freewheeled with the with the O and, and a B. And, and you had to go through the whole letter. It was the most boring thing under the sun. The only thing I liked is when we got to make stained glass windows, which we hung up at the art room. But it was a bit pointless art. Unless, I mean, you know, if, if you have a leaning towards painting or sculpting or pot throwing or whatever else is you can do in the art class. And we did do pottery. That was the only exciting bit. They go, today, pottery. You go, oh, thank God for that. I thought we were going to do letters again. And they go, no, no, pottery today. But we did, the, we did stained glass where you've got pieces of paper and then you cut them out. How we cut them out? It must have been with a, with a pair of scissors. But I don't think they trusted us with razor blades. Not Bin's miner in my school, anyway. He was a complete pyromaniac. And uh, and so they they gave you the scissors and you sort of cut these things out. And then you stuck sweet papers at the back. You know, the ones you would get out of Quality Street. And then when you hang it up at the window, it made stained glass. Yeah, all right. So it was one of those schools. That's what we did. I didn't enjoy it anymore. The only thing I did enjoy was making things. I made a poker in metalwork. That's nice. I wanted to make it in woodwork, but they didn't think it would work. And uh, and I made a, a rack to hold your tools. Always goes down well, and you uh, and that, that was and I, I chiselled that out and carved it and put the, and you put it in the shed and then you put your <coughs> tools behind it, which is brilliant. All that sort of and that's my some schooling for sort of that side of it. A poker. I wanted to make a theatrical light. They weren't over keen on that idea, which was a box and soldering, and um, and it was it was all good fun. But to be honest with you, it was rubbish, wasn't it? The only excitement I got was when I joined the brass band, and I and you'd sit on the bus and people would look at you because they knew you were in the brass band couldn't read music but I was in the brass band and you take your your instrument home with you lovingly and uh, and you'd polish it over the weekend your mum would get the brasso out and you <laughs> polish your instrument that was all I ever did with mine I mean playing it was that was a little bit I sounded like that thing that uh, that uh, that they were playing earlier on about Nick and that uh, that school with the last post you know, eh, 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 eh. I was a bit like that if I knew the tune I was fine I could just about manage to get through it, but they had to put valve fingering down because I never read music. I couldn't read music. I wanted to play the piano. I wanted to have the gift of playing the piano or the organ or something like that, where you could just sit down and play, and I thought, oh. Oh, that film, incidentally, cropped up on London Live yesterday, the story about um, Violet Zabo carve her name with pride, and I'd forgotten. And the reason I mention it is because I remember thinking, I must mention it to you. I thought she was executed by herself, but there were three of them at the time, and because of their spying, uh, the Germans executed them. They, they were taken out from the shed one morning. There was no no indicator of what was going to be happening, but they did get an inkling that, you know, that, that was it. Uh, they were taken down, and one man with a machine gun killed them. But there were three of them at the same time. You remember her because they made the film Carve Her Name with Pride with Virginia McKenna, which was shown on the television the other day. And all I kept thinking was, that medal given to her little daughter... Uh, is now, well I hope it is now, in the Imperial War Museum. It was bought, as I said it would be, and it'll go on display. Never been seen before, one of, uh, one of those very rare war medals given to somebody who uh, died uh, doing good work for this country. Very good film, check it out. News at 6 is happening next, it's LBC, I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen. 
on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's five minutes past six. It's Thursday, the 12th of November. It's like being in hospital, isn't it, really, when somebody reminds you every so often what day it is. But I'm very mindful of the fact that many of you wake up at six o'clock and you lie there thinking, I really don't want to go to work today. I wonder if I can make excuses. I thought I was getting a cold this morning ever since this lasted flu jab. I'm sure I'm much more susceptible to picking up other people's germs on the train. Uh, the nation's invaded by phony Maloney's marriage crisis. Nonsense, says Cheryl Spagbol. Thousands of women to be offered HRT. Pat Edry's daughter on losing her father to the demon drink. The British granddad who said he was humbled after returning home to the UK because he didn't get his lashes. And uh, the mum's 100 hiccups a day for eight years. Finally getting her down can imagine. The poppy seller mugged at the age of 71, as Nick Ferrari will be asking you this morning, have we lost respect for the elderly? I find it absolutely disheartening. It's almost heartbreaking when you read that a 71-year-old who's been out there collecting was going back and, and they mug her for a handbag. I mean, what do you think a 71-year-old's got in there? Just some keepsakes? It really is absolutely atrocious. There's got to be some more deterrence out there. Uh, the dumb dine with me, the thieving blonde recognised by the Asda staff. You know, oh look, that that's the thief. And there she was. But she's been allowed to keep her job as a primary school teacher. Obviously proving in Welsh Wales they're not that bothered about things like that. Uh, mind the vase. This is a vase. It's quite a nice looking vase, actually. And for years in the family, and the family don't want to be identified, they're far too embarrassed. Uh, the kids used to sort of mess about with it. It was part of the furniture and they liked it. And until one day when they were playing a game where they put it down and they were using it as a skittle. And they kicked a football and knocked it over and the vase cracked. So they, they glued it back together again, which is OK. You know, lots of people do that. We've all got vases or plates at home that have been stuck together. I've got some nice uh, mug which was bought to me, uh, bought for me by uh, a producer of mine, Giles, from years ago. And it was really... He'd been most inspired this year because somebody had said, you know, Steve Allen's figures, rock steady. And so he got a picture of me on stage, which was superimposed onto the mug, and on the back of it, rock steady. Which was, you know, quite quite brilliant. The most, you know, talk about imaginative on Christmas presents. Anyway, that was that, and I and I dropped it the other day, and the handle fell off, so I glued it back, and luckily it looks okay. But uh, this particular vase, they um, they broke it. So they glued it back together again, and it was it seemed to pass muster. But you could see that there was a crack there. They put it into auction. How much did it make? Fifty seven thousand pounds. Fifty seven thousand because it was a quite a, quite a rare vase or vase. What the auctioneer said to them was. Had it not had the crack in it, it would have fetched £200,000. <laughs> the kids have gone into hiding, as you can well imagine. Uh, I got a, a text message the other day uh, from some taxi drivers. And they have a, they have a site, actually. Uh, well, they have a tweet. It's called Support Black Taxis. But black is B-L-K taxis. And they need storage help with their homeless Christmas appeal. So you can write to them at support black taxes. Actually, if they sent me a press release on it or, or a bit more information, then I, I can do more for them. But uh, that, that was all I know. They say, can you just mention us London cabbies at support black taxes? We need storage help with our homeless Christmas appeal. So if you let me know more about it and uh, send me some, some writ stuff to steve at lbc.co.uk, that would be very, very useful. Because also... Uh, today, the London Taxi Drivers Fund for Underprivileged Children. Now, this I do every year, but this is the first time we've done this one, as far as I know. And uh, Raymond, who's the press office stroke entertainment, you know that they, they raise a lot of money 
uh, and they do a Christmas party for 700 special needs and underprivileged children. They've been doing it for a long, 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 long time, and every time it comes around, sometimes they take the kids down to South End, and all the taxis will be decorated. But this time, uh, they're out and about. They're out and about today. The committee, the, com- the committee of the London Taxi Drivers Fund for underprivileged children will be at Victoria Station. Between 10am this morning until 6pm. They're going to be there all day from 10 till 6, holding a Christmas collection and raising much needed funds for this forthcoming Christmas party for 700 special needs and underprivileged children. So the venue is Victoria Station from 10 o'clock this morning. You won't miss them because they've also got a newly printed 2016 calendar available for a donation. They're going to be in the centre of the main concourse which is around platform eight area raymond says and hope that anybody passing by will go over and say hello and uh, and join in they need uh, they need money it's as simple as that and so if you're down victoria station between 10 and 6 p.m boys will be down there around platform eight area and they've got their 2016 calendar as well so i hope that they raise uh, lots of money down there good luck raymond and everybody else uh the, uh can't can't go back onto this poppy seller story because Nick Ferrari is going to be doing it this morning. I don't think there's anything I could say that would uh, that would help the situation. I just feel so awful about it. However, I can name and shame this morning because in Penman Investigates in the Mirror, which I love reading, I, I love investigative journalism, and and I love this particular one. And here is uh, Conman Patrick Doran. Patrick Doran is a nasty little piece of work. He's a nasty little boy. He appeared in court three years ago, and the judge was assured. He's ashamed at what he's done. This is three years ago. Unfortunately, driveway con man Patrick Doran is still at it. He bullied pensioners. He bullied one 80-year-old man who didn't want to pay for a botched job. So uh, Patrick Doran, who goes by other names as well, produced a pickaxe and threatened to dig up the drive, frightening the pensioner into handing over £900. He's a really nasty piece of work. The judge at Leicester Crown Court spared him jail after hearing that the con man, then 22, was from the travelling community and had no formal education. Like most of them, they don't seem to go to school. So he's been spared it. His delightful family had schooled him in crime from an early age, sending him out as a 13-year-old to collect money for a fake charity. Now it turns out that Doran was so ashamed of what he did, he's done it all over again. Only this time his victims were in Kent. One retired couple paid £5,500 to this crook for a block-paved driveway which an expert valued at around 140 quid. Doran, who hid behind the aliases Dave Jones or Dave Doran, charged another pensioner 1,500 quid for work which the expert valued at £48, which makes the name of his company, Quality Style Paving Limited, bitterly ironic. Another couple agreed 2,800. He then tried to get 17,000 pounds out of them. Eventually got 5,500. He was finally nailed by Kent Trading Standards where his earlier suspended sentence was activated. He's gone to prison for 27 months. Oh, I'm sure the prisoners will be looking forward to bumping into you in there, Mr Doran. But uh, it's really not good enough, is it? But uh, the excuse was, first time round, that because he was from a travelling family, he didn't go to school. Most of them can't read and write. We saw that on Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, where they went off to do, I think it was paintballing with some of the girls, and the bloke said, can you fill in your details? And she sat there staring at the piece of paper. Very embarrassing. At least his parents taught him how to thieve. They didn't, of course, mention the side effect was that uh, Fat Boy Fat will be going into prison and uh, spending it over the festive season, mixing with people who'll be looking out for people like him, which I'm sure will be very exciting for him. Twelve minutes past uh, six Thursday morning. Very quickly, let's just go back to to these. A lot of people talking about um, the mums with the mobiles. 
uh, which is, you do see it more and more, don't you? But I'll tell you what, now you've noticed, now I've mentioned the fact that, uh, that you see people walking towards you reading or holding their phone in front of them because they've got the earpiece. Sometimes I can't even see the earpiece. I never know what they're, what they're talking to. And I think it's, it's, it's probably because they don't want to get radiation or something like that. Uh, I saw the Violette uh, film the other day, says Diana. Uh, she's been my heroine since I was a teenager. Whilst working at the archives, her daughter, Tanya, came in to see her mother's files. I had to go and ask for her autograph. She said, I can do better than that for you. And she wrote her mother's secret code poem. The life that I have, the love that I have, you know, is, is uh, it's played over at the end of the film. But because she was uh, she was shot uh, not a dry eye with me and another colleague, says Diana. I know. And then, of course, the, uh, the daughter, uh, Tanya, uh, sold it at auction. I can't remember the exact price that it went for, but we knew who bought it. And it's gone into the Imperial War Museum. And, uh, and that's, the, that's the nice thing. She, of course, didn't know that she'd got it. And it was her daughter that went to collect it. Great film. Really great, great film. Uh, Ron the cabbie says, what's going on with the Christmas lights in Regent Street? And I looked this morning. Are they, are they the lights? Is that the is, is that the lights as they stand? I don't I don't really know. I sort of, I haven't seen them on. I don't know if they've been have they been turned on. I'm not sure if they have actually. It's a bit difficult. Uh, Bob says trying to change a tire at the roadside is impossible without workshop equipment. But putting on a spare wheel with new tire already attached is a piece of cake and should be encouraged. Oh no, I don't do anything like that. No, I work on the assumption that I I don't um, that I, I don't do anything. I don't start messing around with anything to do with the car. I don't do anything to do with decorating. I don't do anything with boiler. I don't do anything. It's the other people who are far, far better qualified. Far better qualified. Somebody telling me uh, about who was... Um, about who was behind Malmaison. Apparently a well-known person. Um, real men can change tyres. Well, real men are very stupid then, aren't they? You know, because that's what we have the RAC for. Of course, you obviously like to see people out of work. I don't. And, uh, Steve, I've got a lighted list... A Christmas twig in my lounge. I'm in competition with my sister. Oh, I hate those lighted Christmas twigs. I really do. Not my sort of thing at all. Not my sort of thing at all. And another one here, uh, which says, I only smoke at the weekends, and then only some of them. I find it quite easy to smoke or not to smoke. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things. If you can give up smoking, give up smoking. If you don't want to give up smoking, don't give up smoking. And Neil, thank you very much indeed. Neil sent me uh, the little film which we did the other day. And he says, a very good morning to my lovely wife, Lorraine. I don't know what I would do without her. Bless her. Let's take a short break, shall we? 6.15. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. That's the company, <laughs> if only. Uh, anyway, uh, I was going to mention, actually, thank you very much indeed to uh, to the Black Cabs who've come back to me very quickly on that one, Blue Line. Thank you. And he says, uh, thank you for the mention. This is Support Black Taxis. Black is B-L-K Taxis. That's their, uh, that's the, the Twitter. And uh, they're going to get me the info over. So steve at lbc.co.uk. And I'll do it again for you tomorrow. Because they're, what they're, they're looking for, they're looking for some help. They need your help with something. Apparently the, uh, the lights on Regent Street are turned on this Sunday. They, do, they look slightly odd. Is it just, perhaps I'm not, perhaps I'm a bit more, more traditional. Uh, Stephen Mulhern, he said, uh, he's, he's, he thinks I'm addictive. Makes me sound a bit like, so I'm trying to think what else would be addictive. What else would... He did say that. You disbelieve. So I've never made these things up. I don't. I can't make things up. I, I cannot tell fibs. I cannot tell fib. I can. <laughs> I can gossip. 
I can. Actually, the funny thing is, but I've suddenly realised that I'm obviously out the loop on some things because there's been gossip doing the rounds, and somebody will say to me, "Do you know about so and so?" And I go, "No, what?" And it turns out that nobody's telling me things anymore. It is cheaper to tell me, absolutely. Exactly, because I can do it, but then it's, it's the trouble. Somebody said to me, what happens if it's not true? I go, so? <laughs> Makes it mildly more entertaining, I think, a little bit of gossip. I like that, actually. Somebody says, don't you mean changing a wheel as opposed to changing a tyre? Well, the whole thing is the tyre. We call it, I know what it is. I know, but I think being a slightly pedantic. Gavin the Milkman says, that traveller story proves how out of touch the judges are. Yeah, this is somebody who, the, the story is in uh, Penman Investigates today in the paper. I mean, it, it is nice to see some justice, because these are people who go around ripping off pensioners. And he'd already said, oh, we felt terribly sorry about it. It was sham. It was crocodile tears. Crocodile tears. Pat says, uh, uh, my son's a police officer in Leicestershire. He said he'll be very pleased at, uh, at Doran's sentence. Well, I mean, he, he's, he's paid the price for it. He'll come in. I shouldn't imagine it will stop him. I don't think that prison is a, is a deterrent anymore. I really don't. 27 months, though, I think is actually quite a good, uh, quite a good sentence. Perhaps they get the money back as well. Uh, Steve, uh, I'm with you. If my panda gets a puncture, I phone the garage. They load it onto a skateboard and take it away to mend it. Oh dear, if only actually. Little cars are great. I had a little car once. I don't really do little cars, but you can, you can, put, if you get a flat tyre, you can put tyre weld on it. Tyre weld is that stuff which is foam and it, see, it, it seals the inside of the tyre. It's really nice actually. It's really good stuff. And, um, and so I tried it once on my car. Now my car's two and a half tonnes. And I did get a flat tyre as I was going into Teddington. So I thought, right, I shall go to garage. I shall buy the foam to put in there. So I go back with sort of three bottles of tyre weld and I put it in and it's great and it's sort of the tyre starts inflating and the foam goes round inside and seals the hole which it turns out was made by a screw. And I thought that was fine. So I get back in the car again having wasted God knows how much money buying tyre weld and then blow me down. I literally drive no more than four feet. There's a huge bang and the bus shelter is splattered with the contents of my tyre. And uh, so I was not happy. So it was then I decided to call out the uh, the AA. <laughs> decided to have done with it. I've just, I've just, I've just not, I'm just not doing it anymore. I've just, I cannot do things like that. I'm just not gifted. I can put petrol in a car, but that's it. My engine's sealed. You know, so you lift up the bonnet and you, you can only see a couple. And I don't even know what it is. There's no point in doing it, is there? No point in doing it. Uh, support the black taxes. Uh, Paul. Oh, Paul. Well, at least you have a name. Thank you. He says, I'll send over the info and I'll do that on tomorrow morning's programme for you. OK, promise. Do that tomorrow just after six. Apparently, uh, this Sunday, it's the Christmas window unveiling at Liberty, says Paul. And on the 28th, it's the Hamley's Christmas Parade. Ooh. Nobody told me about that. And then on the 22nd, uh, I'm doing the Twickenham Lights with Jane Horrocks. That's nice, isn't it? I like the idea of doing that. I hope it snows. That would be quite pretty. On second thoughts, I don't actually want it to snow, but I thought it, it would be quite quite pretty. Uh, Neil, thank you very much indeed. He, he made this nice little film of us at last Friday's lunch, and I shall watch it a little bit later on. A bit difficult to watch it during the programme. But that's just about it for this morning. Front pages of the papers... Uh, Daily Star doing Becky Watts Killers, New Fred and Rose West, The Evil Stepbrother and Lover Guilty. And uh, we'll find out later what the sentence is going to be. Nick Ferrari will be talking about this this morning. Uh, that's on the front page of the Daily Mirror, Depraved. Vera's back, uh, not in Coronation Street because she died apparently, which I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. So she's going back into Emmerdale. Uh, and it's only one appearance. She's a, a disgruntled guest at Eric Pollard's place, so she'll be good at that. But I do want somebody to say to her, You're Vera Duckworth, aren't you? <laughs> Senior Gorry. 
The Sun, the front page, uh, Cheryl Hubby split Storm. Uh, they're saying, no, we're not splitting up, because she's been seen out at a few events, and they've said, no, they're not splitting up. But uh, And apparently she needs him. He's obviously her rock, although, to be honest with you, I think the only rock would be her. Uh, the new Fred and Rose West is the stepbrother and lover guilty. Becky Killers would have struck again, says Dad. The Daily Express are doing new jab to replace statins. And Penny Lancaster saying that she was attacked when she was 12 years old coming back from school. Uh, Becky's dad speaking out to the Metro saying, I loved him like a son. Now I'd like him to hang. And the, uh, the Telegraph, the right honourable at last, Jeremy Corbyn is on the front page. That's it for this morning. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Uh, I have a free podcast for you up in a about 15 minutes, which is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then... The, sorry, do you what? what? Don't slurp tea. Oh, do I slurp tea during the... Po- I do that. Do you listen to the podcast? It's good, isn't it? I've heard it as well. It's quite good. It's OK. Uh, do I, I do slurp tea during it. I can't help it because sometimes I get a bit dry. And you know when you're dry, you need to lubricate. And that's my, that's my easy way. And on that happy note, uh, I'll tell you that you can listen to LBC whenever and wherever you want. You can download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet and never miss a moment. Leading Britain's conversation at seven, it's Nick Ferrari at breakfast. But coming up next, Lisa Aziz with the morning news. This is LBC.